You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Systematic Geekology, and welcome to a brand new segment for the show. We, I, I think it's, I think it's become kind of a, a, of an unsaid thing among SG that I'm not necessarily some of the stuff that I'm into in my geekdoms um, a little bit more offbeat, we'll say. A little bit more uh, off from what is normally the status quo. And so uh, I know that for for some of you guys listening, you guys find yourself in the same spot. So we have created Joe's Deep Cut. Uh, This is a segment where we are going to find something certainly off from center. And I think we were very successful in finding that in today's uh, today's uh, episode, um, and and jump into it. And for t- for the inaugural episode, I figured no one better to join me for the pilot of this. The one and only Sari, welcome back. Hello, thanks for having me back. I didn't know this was the first one. That's uh, very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm honored. <laughs> honored. So um, so I pitched the. Uh, the the episode to Sari and you came back with Cronenberg. So for those of you that don't know, when we say Cronenberg, we're referring to David Cronenberg, um, famous within the horror circles, though he, I would argue that he's more of an action director than he is a horror director. But the things that he's done in horror have been remarkable enough that it's kind of landed him a spot is as a notable horror director, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times uh, the subgenre body horror is used to describe his films, which really emphasizes the sort of uh, psychologically disturbing, you know, biological mutations and and things like that. So I'm a yeah, big fan. That, and that's the, the one thing. So what you were saying before, we hit the record button that this is the first time in several years that I watched this movie. And I'll be honest, Cronenberg wasn't a director that I necessarily really dug in my youth as a horror head because I was too busy with guys like Wes Craven, John Carpenter, the big names of horror that were creating stuff. I'm I'm a byproduct. My love for horror is a byproduct of the 80s slasher boom and then into 90s meta teen slasher that sort of thing all very fast paced all very you know uh, we'll, we'll leave it at fast paced for in comparison to somebody like david cronenberg where for me i always kind of found his stuff dragging very very plotting as a kid so watching it now i was a little worried when when i when i endeavored into this because i'm so not a fan of like the saw movies or like that whole era that the Saw movie that that Saw brought about with with that version of body horror, Carnage Candy, as some of yeah. our fellow horror heads call it. And Same. so I was worried about this one. I'm like, because knowing that for most people who know Scanners, they know it for the head popping scene. Mm-hmm. And so, but I, it's so fascinating to me that for all of its ridiculousness that we'll get into. David Cronenberg is able to take that same premise 
that same idea of presenting something on the screen that physically makes you uncomfortable, but tie it up into something that's more that's deeper than just person A getting torn to pieces by whatever it is, you know? Totally. Yeah, I was trying to analyze this within myself even just this morning and preparing to talk to you about this. Like, there's some kinds of shock value that I'm like, that's awesome, you know? And there's some that I'm like, no thanks, you know? And I wondered if it was like, and I mean, different than you, I'm not coming my, you know, I'm, I'm coming more, Cronenberg has like a real sci-fi sensibility to him. And I'm more of a sci-fi fan than a horror fan. I kind of come to horror through that conduit to where it's this like sometimes the phrase cosmic horror or or kind of falls in this same category um and but yeah like you're saying Cronenberg is always interested in sort of philosophical uh things existential things questions about being human and about what's the what's real and uh who can you trust like how do we know what we know and like um and stuff like that. So definitely having it infused with that level of like what's below the surface, using those uh, those shocking set pieces to sort of bring you into a state of discomfort, but then uh, use that to kind of ask some more deeper philosophical questions. I like that. But I, I also wondered if it was just because it's old and to me now as someone, you know, born later, this like this was very shocking you know, to the the audiences when it came out, you know, and to me now I can see very clearly that's not real. That is definitely latex or whatever. Like, you know, like it doesn't look as real to me as some, like when you get later on to the Saw films and it, it looks like what actually would probably look like if someone was, you know, getting their head sawed into or something like that. Like, um, but I don't know, maybe my kid won't think that looks real. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, that would that would take a deeper dive, but um, but yeah. So it's it's interesting. It's definitely interesting. I I was thinking too. I'll just do because I'm like the resident Star Trek person. The it, there's an episode of Star Trek that aired like seven years later where a head explodes, and it's like this very mm-hmm. notorious episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation from an early season, like maybe the first or second season, 1988 or whatever, called Conspiracy, where there's these there's this conspiracy within Starfleet and this guy's head explodes because he's got this like symbiont in his body that's like leeching on him and it makes his head explode. Anyway, very, yeah. very Cronenbergian episode of Star Trek <laughs> that almost, almost paying direct homage. I feel like um, that's funny because this movie is very scanners is very conspiratorial too. But anyway, sorry, yes. wandering. Yeah, no, I it took me a second because I'm that those early uh seasons of Next Gen are are right when I where I started my my fandom for for Star Trek. So it took me a second to think of the um the episode that you were referring to, but yeah, now that you mentioned that, I that is very Cronenbergian in the <laughs> in, in the way that it's that it's presented. Um yeah, yeah. Yeah, anyway. it's it's interesting that you bring up the the juxtaposition between uh, older horror and modern horror because I feel like I've always the the movie The Exorcist was always the the big catalyst for me in this conversation because I would grow up as a horror head hearing about how The Exorcist was this 
groundbreakingly terrifying movie for its time and all of this kind of stuff. And again, when when the I guess carnage, but the the colorful MTV version of horror is your first hit into horror. It's it definitely does something to when you're younger going back and watching something like an exorcist because it is way slower way more toned down way more cerebral and and as i got older i could see how it was easier for me to put myself in the shoes of the audience that would be seeing this for the first time that wasn't exposed to all of this other stuff that would come after it and and that this is kind of the first taste of those kinds of things being presented on the screen in certain regards. And, and I feel like it's kind of the same for this, for this era of, of horror that it just, it's, it's different in its, in its age. And thus I think has to rely on more of the peripheral elements to create the environment, to establish what's going on. Like in that, in that first scene i i one of my favorite parts of this movie is the soundtrack i think i think movies from this era from this time have some of the best music attached to them and just from that opening crawl through to the establishing shots all of that i think that that was really good but as you're unpacking the scene you're you're confronted i i'll use that word confronted in in the action parts with this piercing noise that they use throughout the movie to establish when scanning is going on. And they do that first before going into the auditorium scene and the explanation of what scanners are and all of that. But it's this really frustratingly annoying noise that comes through. And for me, it I felt like it was really there because I was listening to it from I was watching it on my computer. So I had like production headphones that are noise canceling and all of that kind of stuff in. And so I'm just boom with this noise. And like, but, but to me, it struck me in the same kind of way to compare it to some of, uh, to, to some of its contemporaries. You take somebody like John Carpenter who did so much with ambiance and music and all of that. And that being my gateway in, I can appreciate the sound and the soundtrack and all of that kind of stuff. And I thought that was really cool the way that he used that because otherwise without these kinds of elements, it just looks like people making weird faces into the, into the camera at random parts. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. That's always a problem with like telepathic and psychic stuff in movies. It's like the, the challenge of, getting the actors to do something that doesn't seem too ridiculous the sound definitely helps um for for sure but actually the actors faces are kind of also very unnerving and uncomfortable to watch (laughs) you know like what would a man look like if his head was about to explode you know like literally feeling you know maybe you've had like a migraine where you felt like that was about to happen or whatever yeah very interesting I agree with you with the soundtrack. But you said this movie, this is your favorite Cronenberg is what you called. So I'm interested to hear what you really love about it besides the score. Yeah. So, so this movie, it's one of my, it's my favorite Cronenberg because to me, in comparison to some of his other work, it's a little bit more cerebral 
in what it in in what it what it asks in that whole um uh, brothers and how that can how the different perspectives can be and and all of that like i feel like the best parts of this movie are in like the 10 the last 10 15 minutes of it and while while there are other movies that i would call more famous of his you know for for those of you that don't know this this was his his i i would call this his most famous movie until the fly came out he he directed the remake of the fly and that's that's kind of he is kind of known for the fly and you know and even even past those two movies like there are he is very much a i feel like a director of iconic move or, or iconic moments but this in totality with all of its nonsense with all of the bad acting <laughs> still has the most compelling story to it where other ones i think in that regard come short yeah that's well said i i i i get that i actually read an article where someone um it was on the criterion page about this movie compared it to like a thor loki type relationship for the brothers mm. that have been pitted against each other or even Cain and Abel to get biblical for this show's audience. <laughs> um, right. But um, the the dynamic between the two brothers who don't know their brothers for most of the most of the film at the end is really interesting and and I don't know the way that the way that that plays out is really is really interesting what they what they represent. Yeah, yeah. especially when one of them is Michael Ironside. I had forgotten that Michael Ironside is in this movie until they until we got to the uh the auditorium scene. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. That is that is Michael Ironside. And he's he simultaneously looks exactly the same and so much younger than most of the other stuff that I would know him from because he was big uh -huh. in the the nineties, early two thousands as like mustache twirling villain number five sort of thing. He played a lot of that kind of role and it's, he brings weight to a role that very easily could have been very slapsticky. Like this very, this very much could have come across as vaudeville in in its in its presentation but he really takes it seriously to the point where like by the end and he is he's giving his villainous monologue about you know let's let's rule the world together sort of uh, sort of thing like you feel the weight of wanting revenge and you feel the weight of of feeling like he's owed something and and all of that and like it's this moment especially for me it was it was interesting i i i'm a huge uh uh x-men fan I, mm. I think especially the 90s uh, cartoon and, and all of that. Yeah. And and I felt like there have been times where I have read the mutants and I'm like, I just what happens if they just all collectively say, screw it, we're taking over who uh, you you have you have reality warpers you have you have grade a telepaths you have and and it depends on who's who's writing it ultimately it's a fictional universe so whatever mm -hmm. whoever needs to be str strong can be strong in the moment and yada 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 but if if you're if you're looking at it at from from your fan fan perspective and looking in on the story you just wish sometimes that they would just say, screw it. We're done. We're done. We're done get, getting kicked. We're standing up for ourselves. So like there's moments where Michael Ironside is giving this performance where you're like, 
I, I know I'm not supposed to believe in like be rooting for you and all of that kind of stuff. But in that like last big battle, you you kind of find yourself rooting for him in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, I like going back to the scene that starts the film and it takes place in this very cool looking mall in a food court, which is like the most mundane of settings, right? Like we've all been in a food court in a mall, you know, and, um, and the protagonist is there. And later on, he describes like he, I mean, I guess he accidentally gives a woman a seizure um, with his, his scanning, but because he doesn't know how to control his abilities in any way. But he describes it to the doctor later, who is secretly his father, um, that she did it to herself. And um, and so it made me just think about like the psychological dynamics, like psychologists call it something that humans do theory of mind. And, and even in psychology, they call it mind reading. And it's when you develop the ability to really have a pretty accurate hold on um, what someone else is thinking, you know, like if you, you know, if you're being judged, or if you're being stereotyped, or if you're being condescended to, like, we as humans have the ability to kind of make those types of um, judgments. This, of course, in in the film, it's like, it's exaggerated to the nth degree to where it's a literal reality, you know, but, you know, he's on the fringes of culture. He's a loser, even like his scientist dad is like, do you want to know why you're such a loser? How, why you're such yeah. a trash person? You know, what I mean? <laughs> and and so he can feel the woman's judgment, and it's almost like he describes it as almost like a natural consequence of her casting judgment on him as like a marginalized sort of countercultural person. Um, that you know, she she just because he didn't know how to control it yet. He wasn't. He didn't get brainwashed yet. He was just. Uh, he was just reflecting back to her, her own ugliness. And I thought that was, that's kind of a cool, cool picture. Um, a cool way to think of it. I don't know. I'm not saying yeah. that harm people, but <laughs> you also shouldn't judge. People. Right. Um, but yeah. it's, but that's a good, it's a good point to raise that. Like you take something like this and you know, this, this movie was based off of, um, a big scandal in the fifties with a drug that was being given to uh, pregnant women that, that was, that was causing issues and, and yada, yada, yada. Um, and, and, and that you couple that with the fact that this movie was being written as it was being shot. This, the, the script wasn't done, but when, when I they went into that. production and then you, you have all of those things and then you can still see the through lines throughout the entirety of the movie. And it's, and it's interesting the way that, that Cronenberg peppers in these different, I guess, moralistic stances, I guess, psychological stances, those, those kinds of things along the way, like in, in a manner that you would think that the, that this whole thing was plotted and planned out, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like to, uh, along those lines when he, when the protagonist he's told about these bad scanners these these ones that are organizing like uh, this criminal organization that he's got to take down like be the good guy don't be like the other scanners all the other scanners but then he finds the group that's led by um what's her what's that character's name kim yeah kim i think it's the character jennifer o'neill plays kim overs the group that the cell of scanners that's led by her and they're like these 
this peace-loving community of scanners. And he was like, they didn't tell me about you because they had an agenda, right? They didn't tell me that there were good, there are people like me who are good and just trying to explore these gifts together. And then um, he has that experience where they're all like mutually scanning one another in the circle. And it's just this beautiful moment of like human connection. And Mm -hmm. in the middle of it, they get gunned down, you know, it's like just what's, you know, the the peace, love and understanding the sort of hippie countercultural moment there. And then they get in the car and she says, now I know what it's like to die because they were all connected when a few of them got gunned down. It's like, whoa, dang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But he's always, yeah. Cronenberg's always putting in those moments, but then also it's sort of surprising how many big sort of set piece like big budget moments happen in this movie too. Like when the car flew into the record store, I was like, they just like blew up, (laughs) set a car on fire in a record store. Like how much money did they have? And that's not the only car that blows up in the movie. It's pretty right. Like speaking to your, uh, action, action director, uh, comment. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's funny. You can basically break down this movie into, Beginning sequences, you know, the establishing the the establishing scene where it's the first time you see it, you see the ability used. They're in the they're they're in the uh, the food court, yada yada yada. And fun facts, uh, that was actually an active choice to put that scene first and then put the scene where everything is explained because yeah. David Cronenberg thought that people would be late to the movie theater. And so they want, he want people in a movie like that. You need the explanation of what exactly is going on. So that was an active choice to put it like 10 minutes into the movie or whatever the first, however long the first scene takes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I read someone, someone said, I don't know, like that some folks were having trouble following the plot if they had the head explode earlier in the film and they pushed it later because people were so caught off guard by like, were so overwhelmed by seeing that moment that they couldn't pay attention to what was happening in the movie after. <laughs> yeah. So don't put the important plot points after the head exploding. It was like the rule of thumb. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the, that, that scene happens where they're in this auditorium and it's, it's supposed to be, uh, a display of a guy scanning, but then low-key Michael Ironside turns it around on 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 the other guy and makes his head explode. And then you basically move into various examples of explosions and action set pieces to push forward this this kind of journey to get to what is ultimately the big confrontational moment between our protagonist and antagonist, which uh, from what I understand, looking into um, the actors, because I was curious, some of these actors I'd never seen outside of, and generally speaking in the horror, in the horror community, there's kind of a crop of actors that play in various movies. So it's really rare to see an actor act in a notable horror movie and then not know them from a single other thing. Yeah. And it turns out that right after the, uh, after shooting this movie, the, uh, the guy who plays Cameron retired from acting and became an incredibly famous, uh, painter. Stephen Lack. I'm just seeing that now. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. 
Yeah, he's that looks like he's doing pretty well for himself. <laughs> Which was an incredibly smart decision on his part on his part because <laughs> man, did that guy not have the right calling by being an actor. <laughs> like just yeah. with the bombastic nature, I, I, I think it's I think it, it it's a lot of the the issues are forgiven because he's so fish out of water and it, and and his acting or lack thereof is it really emphasizes that fish out of water nature uh, that that we're going for here mm-hmm. but but like yeah he is his acting abilities were not grade a in this movie that's for sure you know maybe it was when he was like doing that scene with the with the guy who's the artist remember he goes looking for the scanner who is like <sighs> Uh, he's a sculptor and he goes to the art show and then he goes yeah. to his studio and he's like, you know what? This is the life I want. I want to be. In. <laughs> That's phenomenal. And- <laughs> yeah. And I love that guy. Just the, just the over the top metaphor, that guy living in a huge sculpture. That's a, a replica of his own head. Like, <laughs> yeah, so good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good for him. He found his true calling probably for the best. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But but I mean, it's it's cool. It's cool that that you, you know, you can your one outing as an as an actor that's notable is Scanners, like a yeah. movie that lives on it for better or for worse. That's that's not a bad it's not a bad outing, even if it isn't your uh, your calling, you know? Yeah, for sure. Sure. But yeah, it's it it's funny though when with talking about him and his acting ability, it just it's so the 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 juxtaposition I found myself really appreciating the so for those of you that haven't watched this movie, you can tell that somebody is scanning because essentially what they do is they stare dead into the camera, shake a lot, and then usually you cut to somebody else with a nosebleed. Is is kind of how that's illustrated. And it's that that subdued the subdued talking points of this movie in contrast to everything else going around. I appreciated even if I can I can see how the middle portion of this kind of is carried by the action pieces that are going on around it. And for for Cronenberg movies, generally, the most important parts are those talking points because that's where a lot of the exposition happens. That's why the story's told. He very much is, is that style of director where you have to pay attention when people are talking. Otherwise the action pieces aren't going to necessarily make as much sense. But I feel like in this movie in particular, it really works. Whereas for me, some of his other movies that do the same kind of formula kind of miss and they're they're a little bit more boring or a little bit drier you know in in total presentation yeah like what for example um so so i'll i'll take the other the other most famous one the fly and yeah. with the fly there's there's better there's categorically better acting but it feels like everybody's trying to be a character like it just feels like you got your you got your acting direction, you got your 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 character direction and and just go. <laughs> Whereas with this, it almost felt like this was more like real life 
uh, reactions to things. You know what I mean? Like this just felt more like people in a really weird situation that were that were forced to react authentically to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Where does this? Well, uh, good. Good. No. No. Go ahead. Where does this rank for you in in comparison to some of Cronenberg's uh, other works? Um, I'd say I've seen a handful of Cronenberg films, and I love The Fly. I feel like it's just a it's a disastrous like opera of a of a movie, just with Jeff Goldblum's body parts falling off. I I just really love it, and I think I really love. Gina Davis and I just think she's phenomenal in that movie there's a so in doing research for this conversation I learned that Cronenberg has directed two movies with the same title that have nothing to do with each other uh Crimes of the Future which was his second movie and is also his most recent movie so I didn't know about the one from 1970 but um this most recent film Crimes of the Future uh premiered at Cannes Film Festival and people were walking out of it apparently because they were so horrified or disgusted or whatever. <laughs> Fascinating. But I thought it was actually really good and it does have that kind of slow subdued energy to it. Um, it's a dystopian future where people have evolved um, from experiencing pain so they, the humans never no longer experience pain but they kind of miss it and they're going in search of more extreme sort of experiences. And so it centers around this, this couple that it, they're artists, they're performance artists, and they do surgery as part of their performance art. Um, so I thought it was really, really good, a really well-made film, kind of slow and thoughtful and philosophical, um, but with this occasional uh, extreme set pieces you know going on so yeah. those two are our favorites of mine there's one from 1999 called existence that is kind of a good time have you heard of existence I have. like existence with a z at the end um and that is just it's so very 1999 and there's this like yeah. vid video game virtual reality stuff that they're playing around with that one's just a good time and then there's Dead Ringers, which is about evil twin gynecologists. That one is really interesting, too. So those are some of my my favorites. Um, of course, there's more serious films he's made, like Eastern Promises, um, History of Violence, um, films like that. But um, yeah, so that's sort of my walkthrough, one of my favorites. So, oh, you asked me where does Scanners ring in all of this? I would say below Crimes of the Future and The Fly, maybe a, a, a few hairs above existence. And I don't know, The Brood is, is maybe tied. <laughs> maybe it's tied with The Brood. I really enjoy The Brood. Um, yeah. Um, this, I, I wish that I cared more about the characters in no. Scanners. I, I think that's, maybe that's a weakness of that lead actor. You know, he maybe got cast for those, those eyes, those deep, like blue green eyes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I also felt like you know it's obviously part of this like corporate slash like like uh, pharmaceutical industry 
with government contracts, like this like conspiracy system um, that that, you know, everyone's asking, like, who do we trust? And countercultural folks are like, you don't trust any of these people because they're all against you, you know. But anyway, I was I was watching this with my husband. And at one point I was like, there's no women in this movie. There's, you know, we were like 25 minutes in. And I was like, there's no women. And this had a very like yeah. masculine energy. And I was like, is this a, is this, is this Cronenberg as a young director sort of focusing on that? But it also could just be kind of a product of its time where there were like mostly men in these senior leadership roles, you right. know, so that's what's going to be reflected. And then when, you know, when Kim shows up, you're like, oh, a love interest. Yay. You know, <laughs> but, uh, but that's definitely something I noticed. And some of the, those are some of the things that made me not connect to the film as much as, as some others, um, you right. know, to me, it, and, it, and, you know, it's fun and it's campy and like the techno technology aspect is really fun. Like the ways that computers work, like, <laughs> yeah. like what, like he hacks, a computer with his mind through a payphone at a gas station and both the computer room and the gas station blow up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And the payphone starts melting. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, so that kind of stuff is just sort of fun and hilarious and entertaining, but yeah. My That's funny. Yeah. I, I will say, you know, you can, I, I think the sign of a good director is when you can make various pieces of work and keep people talking. If you can keep people talking, then that means that you've interested people. When it's just as an artist, if you if nobody's talking, that's where the problem is because that means nobody cares. And for better or for worse, David Cronenberg makes films that 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 people have opinions about. You know what I mean? And with something like this, like I I I agree that by the end of it, by the end of it, I wanted that that final twist to be that the bad guy won, not that the not that the protagonist won. Mm -hmm. And there's this big climactic moment of of the two the two brothers. You find out they're brothers and that they that you know that that yeah. they were experimented on and all of that. And trying to you, scan each other to death basically. Basically, yeah. yeah. And and there's this moment where, you know, he's cowered in the corner and takes the takes the blanket off of his face and it's Michael Ironside, but the but Cameron won. And and yeah, Cameron uploaded his consciousness into his evil brother. Yeah. Right. And like the one character that I really felt like was was substantive enough to really get invested in. I would have liked to have seen seen you know be the be the final victor, but yeah, I mean, it's I, I do find it interesting. Usually, with people like with like when watching a movie, I care about whether or not I care about usually two things. One, do, does this feel like a world where more stuff is happening than just what's in front of the camera? Is other stuff happening elsewhere in the universe? Also, I care about characters. Just write write a compelling character, write a compelling story. That's what I care mm -hmm. about. And this movie, it has a serious deficit of character, mm -hmm. but to me tells enough story that it makes up for it. Whereas I think for some of his other work, it's way more skewed towards the character side than, than the story side. Right. Right. I, 
yeah, I agree with you. And I said, like, I, I right away was like, what happened sequel wise with this movie? Because it seems like it sets up for our, to have um have the story continue very perfectly. But and there were sequels, but Cronenberg wasn't really involved, and I haven't seen any of them, so I don't right. really care. It doesn't seem like seem like it lost it. It probably lost its way. But um, but Einstein had the like the strength to carry it on, to carry on the story, and to carry your carry the viewer's interest, um, for sure. One thing I wanted to ask you about that I felt confused about, and maybe it's just unclear, is the demise of the father because he I, did I just miss something? I thought that because he starts kind of like talking to himself, like all of a sudden you hear his thoughts. And I was like, wait, is he a scanner too? Has he been taking this stuff? You know, and then he just kind of like he he suddenly seems like he goes he goes insane very suddenly and then lets himself get killed. Um, yeah. How did you read that? I read that as an extension of trying to show off Michael Ironside's capabilities. But oh, okay. I think it was I think it was uh-huh. very rushed. I don't think there was a lot of. <laughs> substance to it like uh, i could see i could absolutely see a world where you read that same that you watch that same scene and you read prolonged exposure to the chemical that's causing you mm-hmm, know is mm-hmm. is then causing the own mm-hmm. its own psychosis and all that kind of stuff but mm-hmm. yeah i i definitely agree that it it was not clearly stated but that's what i got out of it yes and it was quick so you're like wait what <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of the times I was like, well, these scanners need to be scanning a little more proactively. Like if because <laughs> at first it's like flooding their minds, like, like, oh, I can hear everyone's thoughts all the time. But then later on, it's like, oh, you don't know this gunman's here until he's like right behind you. Like, can't you <laughs> right. scan scanners, please? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I it's it's weird because this movie it uh, generally with with telepath movies they kind of have that that that's kind of how you see a character introduced to their powers is by mm-hmm. that flooding of of it's like voices an overwhelming, and things like that. yeah right but usually that's as kids usually mm-hmm. that's all set up and you they they do something to establish a an earlier state where that happened and then how they how they've dealt with that and you don't really get that in this movie and it's kind of that's coupled with scanning ability in this movie is basically whatever you need it to be for (laughs) each one of the characters like there's Mm -hmm. not like a set this is what you can do as a scanner it tends (laughs) to change depending on the individual Yeah, what needs to happen in that moment. But (laughs) yeah, which speaks to maybe what you were drawing out about the um, the movie kind of being invented on the fly too, (laughs) as it, you know, seemed sort of scene by scene what needed to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So any uh, any closing remarks about uh, about this movie? Um, I guess I wondered if you would want to be a scanner if you could, Joe. You know, I I there at other parts in my life I think I would have said yes because I think <laughs> there's something interesting about the idea of being able to read thoughts and all of that kind of stuff. But with how people act, I'm not sure I want to know what's going through people's <laughs> minds. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I think at this point I don't think I would want to be a scanner. I know. I was thinking about that cuz like 
it it there is something appealing about it to you know not have to guess what somebody thinks about you sometimes you know but it's um yeah ultimately it would cause more harm than good i'm i'm pretty sure i'm glad the the lord didn't <laughs> give us that but you know with people who you become close to like i'm always surprised now like i spent so much time with my partner during covid you know we work from home we're We've the last few years we've spent so much time together, and I my ability to kind of know where he's at, what he's thinking about, what he's gonna do next is pretty sharp at that point. I'm sure you'd say the same thing about me. So I think that kind of stuff is enough. <laughs> it's best we yeah. don't know that we're not um, because we're not the stuff we don't say out loud isn't said out loud for a reason, and I think that's really important. Agreed, agreed. And you know, I find myself in a in a similar situation, like my partner and I were in a very similar boat. Like Mm -hmm. we got, we got married and then went off to, went into 2020. And so like, we, we got a master's class in education about each other. And, you know, I, I know people that, that have been a part of my life for long enough that we, we can, we can read in between the lines. We can read the beats with, with one another. And yeah, I think at this stage of my life, that's enough. <laughs> Good. I'm glad we had this talk. <laughs> yep, yep. All right. So let's go into uh, let's go into the wrap up. What uh, recommendations do you have for our lovely listeners? What have you been geeking out on recently? Uh, okay. What I've been geeking out on recently is the TV series Atlanta, which is on Hulu, and it's maybe just finished its last season, but I'm not caught up. So I'm at the beginning of the current season. And I think the show is so well made, so well directed. It's got just the level of, um, it talks about race so intelligently and beautifully and has just the right amount of surrealism for me. Uh, Mm. It's not exactly like 100% the real world or the way the characters, the the stories play out. Um, Really love that. I have to recommend the movie Triangle of Sadness. Um, It is about what should i say it's about most most of it plays out on a cruise ship and it is just the most smart hilarious movie about kind of class and how um affluence and wealth and all these different things like everyone says they want equality but really we want to feel a little bit more special than the other person, you know, the cleaning lady or whatever. And um, I just wonder about it. It all it it also it premiered at Cannes. And I just was wondering, like, what must of all these affluent people at this film festival thought when they watch this movie? I, I feel like it's a movie that maybe I'll watch like a couple times a year to be reminded about what's really important in life. Um, so highly recommend Triangle of Sadness. Yeah, that's interesting. It, it... I I feel like with a lot of the film festival movies, people think of film festivals and they think of starving artists, which there's there's a reality, I guess, to start to to being a starving artist. But that's its own conversation. Um, But the people who are going and attending these things, they're they're not poor people like they're not they're there's that all costs money. Like they're gatekeepers. They're they're gatekeepers for the artists. So they have that. That's a privileged position. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm just sitting here processing 
the stones that it takes to make a movie that talks about the very group that would be watching the movie that you're creating, like that's guts. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty powerful. Pretty powerful. Especially when you get caught up, you know, we, this capitalism, right? We get caught up in like how successful we can be. What kind, how can I get a nice house? Blah, 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 blah. And, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with ambition or any of that kind of stuff, but um, I don't know. This, that's a movie that's just a really great mirror um and it does it without feeling preachy at all it's just it's just like filmmaking at its finest you know so. no um for me I, I i have been geeking out on uh my wife and i went back and watched the bear which is a um a miniseries that happened on oh kind of a miniseries but uh, that happened on uh netflix or not netflix uh, uh fx that's who mm-hmm. Yeah, and more than who. Yeah. Um so I I am I am forever going to be sounding the drum for for people to watch this movie and then again comment on this episode that you've wa- or that watched a series, comment on this episode that you've watched the series so that way I can justify doing an episode about the bear. Um it is it is a it is a a, a love letter to anybody who's been in the industry. It is it is one of the most accurate uh, depictions of life in the kitchen that I have ever seen, and and it is it is wonderful in in all of it. And so um, that we it, went back. It's very but, stressful. <laughs> most episodes have that that frenetic stressful energy. Yep. It's like yep. okay, There's, I need to come down from that. <laughs> There's a reason why I got out of the industry. Um, <laughs> but you. but yeah, so um, that's we it, it's from the episode. If you guys uh, listened to the episode that guests that we had a guest on, it was Josh and I. We talked about uh, we talked about cooking shows and that kind of spurned me to go back and and watch it again. Um, recommendations. Uh, so we found a board game called boss monster that if you're into board games if you're into like um i i i call it the exploding kittens era of board games the the card based turn based games like that um it is for people who are a fan of like retro platformers like mario stuff like that it is a card game based around that and it is phenomenal it it, i have uh, it is one of the best games that i have found in in recent memory so what's it called again boss monster boss monster that sounds like fun you excited about the mario movie that that's gonna be coming out no not excited (laughs) i think i think places i think people need to stop people need to stop casting chris pratt that (laughs) uh Happen quick, fast, and in a hurry. That's he's no. He's had his day. You know, I recently watched the Lego Movie, the the first the Lego Movie. It's like 2012 or something like that. Yeah, and delightful. Like that movie's yeah. actually pretty amazing. I watched it with my daughter, and she was really into it. And I was like, wait, I forgot how good this was. But you know, that character is supposed to be like the most average Joe of average Joes, you know. And I'm like, that's Chris Pratt. That's perfect. <laughs> wonderful that's funny hey can i do one plug that i'd like to mention um go for the audience um in january uh this will probably go up real soon right this 
yep. what we're doing now. Okay. In January, I'm going to be crowdfunding for the next film I want to direct. It's like going to be a short film about, um, it's an alien who's hiding out as a winemaker in the Pacific Northwest. Um, so I'm going to be producing that, sh- that film next year and directing it. And I'm going to be raising funds starting in January with Seed and Spark. So if anyone wants to sign up to get updates about that, I'm really excited about it. I'm really passionate about the project. I can't wait to make it. Um, uh, it's winemakermovie.com. You can go there and sign up. And then that you are, once the once the campaign is live, the URL will take you to the campaign. But if you want to just sign up for updates, I'd really appreciate it. This. <laughs> <laughs> slash excited, yeah, so. yeah that sounds that that sounds like a really interesting premise <laughs> no. all right guys all right. and that is a wrap for now um man this was th- this was fun let us know down in the episode or down in the comment section of wherever you find this let us know what else you want to hear from these deep cut conversations because the 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 doors are open and this is the opportunity for to to hear about things that are you know either older or offbeat doesn't have to necessarily be as aged as something like scanners but but the things that are that are a bit more off from center absolutely chime in let us know if you have heard this and maybe you're hearing Siri for the first time or you just find yourself wanting more, go ahead and jump on over to uh, systematicecology.org. You can find our entire backlog of episodes there. Um, And if you find yourself wanting to help us keep the lights on, you can head on over to patreon.com slash systematicecology and toss a couple of bucks in the kitty. And we have uh, a lot of different uh bonuses you know the comic book catch-up we've got uh drinks with tegis over there a whole bunch of stuff for your listening pleasure but until next time friends want you guys to remember one very important thing we are all a chosen people a geekdom of priests This was an Anazal Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, be sure to check out the Anazal Ministries podcast network.